Welcome back to Venture Studio. This week, Dave interviews Craig Shapiro, the founder and managing partner of Collaborative Fund. In this episode, Craig talks about his views on the future of consumption, how to court and land awesome LPs like Pharrell, and how your company's values can be used as a weapon. This is your producer, Kevin Weeks. If you like what you've been hearing, please make sure that you subscribe on iTunes. We'd love to hear some feedback from you, so send your suggestions or questions our way at Venture Studio on Twitter. Better yet, why not just do both? Share Venture Studio iTunes subscription link on Twitter with your friends, and everyone wins. Collaborative Fund is centered on two macro themes, the growth of the creative class and the concept of collaborative consumption. Their portfolio companies include AngelList, Codecademy, Ernest, Grand Street, HelloSign, Kickstarter, Lyft, Maker Studios, Reddit, and TaskRabbit. In addition to those, Dave and Craig discuss a few other portfolio companies in depth on today's episode, including Hampton Creek, Walker & Co., and Alt School. Now, without further ado, let's head on up to the Venture Studio office with Dave Lerner and Craig Shapiro. In the office, baby. Greg, it's great to have you back. It's been a while, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's good to catch up. You know, when, when I first met you, you were on your first fund, which I believe was a $10 million vehicle. Mm-hmm. Why don't you catch us up a little bit and tell us where you're at now and what has happened over the last four or five years? Yeah. Um, geez. In some ways, that seems so long ago. You know, it's crazy. Uh, in other ways, it's it's just like yesterday. And right. and I, you know, I think we're we're not too much different, ironically, than when you and I, you know, first got together. Right. Um, you know, we've we've raised a second fund in in early 2013. Uh, it was a little over 30 million dollars, mm-hmm. and we raised a, a third fund actually in May of this year. Uh, that's uh, roughly 70 million dollars. Um, and so the, the the size of the funds have grown a bit. Um, the team has grown a bit, um, but we're still, you know, kind of scrappy, small. You know, I don't Ensemble. know. Yeah, I, I really do think of us as the, you know, just that little train that just keeps chugging along. And we're having a lot of fun, and um, I think moving in the right direction. And how has your your mission evolved? I know you you back. The shared future. I want to hear more about that. Yeah, you know, in some ways, um, we really haven't changed much in, in terms of our investment thesis. You know, we, we when we first got started, we we focused in on kind of two areas. You know, one was the rise of the creative class, which you know was look really looking at kind of this new group of creative people, uh, mostly urban, uh, that were kind of helping shape cities and development um, across a variety of sectors you know, like education and health and transportation. And then we looked at collaborative consumption, which is this notion of people sharing resources and kind of creating new models of consumption, shifting from a society where, you know, there's hyper-consumption, you own everything, you own your home, you own your car, you own all of your own goods, to one where you're, you're making use of some of those assets on a shared basis, you're able to monetize your car, your home, your apartment, um, you know, and, and other belongings. Um, and it hasn't changed so much. You know, I think 
at a high level, I like to think of collaborative fund focusing on on startup businesses that are at the intersection of for profit and for good. So this this kind of you know this uh, you know broad sense of alignment. Um, kind of aligning your self-interests, uh, because I think humans are naturally self-interested with this notion of kind of a broader interest. So caring about the community and the world at large and thinking about kind of social impact. So, yeah, we haven't, you know, the, that thesis really hasn't changed. I think we're starting to, as a fund, we're starting to cluster a bit in terms of our investments around certain categories within those broad themes. But you know, at a high level, we're still just doing the same stuff. And what kind of categories are you kind of, you know, zoning in on? Yeah, you know, we've we've kind of um, we've done a, a bunch of, uh, of of deals in the food space. Um, so we've looked at food kind of on a, on a broad level, um, everything from you know how it's being produced. Uh, companies like Hampton Creek Foods uh, or even Modern Meadow. Um, where they're, you know, they're in some cases using science to produce, uh, you know, new types of foods. Hampton Creek is is obviously making, uh, you know, a variety of products. Their first is mayonnaise using plant substitute uh, as opposed to eggs. And so, you know, interesting kind of um, evolution in terms of food production. Right. Um, you know, we've also backed a number of companies that are that are doing kind of food delivery. So how it gets from where it's being produced to the consumer. You know, we're we're an investor in Good Eggs, another one called Gobble, and and a handful of others. Um, and so, I think the food delivery, like how it's actually getting from the production to the consumer, is is interesting. And then also retail, um, we invested in Blue Bottle Coffee, Sweet Green, um, and so these types of businesses that are, you know, what I think of as the next generation of fast food. And so it's you know, you get the convenience and the speed and you know, all, all the benefits of kind of traditional fast food, but with something that's healthier that you, you don't come out of feeling gross. Right, uh, right. right. <laughs> and, and this is kind of consistent with something that I got a kick out of. You have this villain test. Tell us a little about that, that test. I hesitate to go too far down the rabbit hole because I think we could spend the whole, the whole podcast on that topic alone. Mm. But the, the, the short version is, you know, I think oftentimes because Collaborative Fund talks a lot about social impact and pushing the world forward, people associate us with kind of just doing good and almost like philanthropy. But the reality is our core investment thesis is one that we believe a certain subset of, of those companies that are focused on doing good are going to actually generate the greatest financial return on investment. And those the, the way to get to that subset is through something we call the villain test. Um, and it's just a funny name that recognizes, you know, kind of what I talked about earlier, humans are self-interested. Right. And so, you know, I, I like to, I like to point to, you know, let's use the car as an example, right? So on one end of the spectrum, you have something like a Ferrari. It's beautiful, beautiful industrial design. It's fast, it's sexy, it's bold, like stepping into a Ferrari, you just, it, you know, it gives you goosebumps. Mm -hmm. It it, it kind of tickles all of your self-interested emotions. Getting into a Prius tickles a whole separate set of interests, right? So you feel like, you know, gosh, now I'm part of this, you know, new group of people who are, are trying to be more fuel efficient, that care about the world, that 
are trying to lower our carbon footprint. But the last thing you, you feel when getting into a Prius is, is bold and sexy and all the things that you do when you're in a Ferrari. And I, you know, I know myself very much wanted to get a Prius. Um, but I, you know, at the end of the day, I couldn't help but feel that that villain on my shoulder that that wants the Ferrari, the feeling that I get in the Ferrari. And I think you see through innovation, something like Tesla, which scratches both of those itches. And so, you know, that's where there, I think, is, um, you know, opportunities to create exponential returns is at the intersection of those two. If you can create a product that, uh, you know, does push the world forward and, and kind of satisfies what I believe are the core values of, of a, a new generation of consumer, while also satisfying the, the, the self-interest of wanting to feel sexy and dominant and, right. and, and all of those things, that's, you know, that's going to generate financial returns like, right. like we haven't seen before. Indulge us a little bit. Uh, give us an example or two from your portfolio that, you know, satisfy, checked off that, that villain test. An easy one or one that I, I, I like to think about is Hampton Creek Foods. It's actually the, the company I mentioned earlier that's making this mayonnaise without eggs, right? So they use, they use plant. Um, it's 100% plant-based uh, as opposed to eggs. And there's a whole bunch of environmental benefits to that, right? So it's healthier as a human to, to consume a uh, plant-based diet. It's much less stress on kind of from a farming perspective and, and just environmentally, you know, raising uh, plants as opposed to chickens. Um, and so there's, there's a whole bunch of like, you know, do-gooder reasons to, to like Hampton Creek Foods. But the reason that it, it passes the villain test is because it's actually cheaper, Right, so you go into a, a Safeway or a, a, a Walmart, and you go to the mayonnaise aisle, and you look at Hellman's or Miracle Whip, and it's just more expensive than Hampton Creek's mayonnaise, just right. mayo. Right. And so the person that doesn't give a can I can I use bad words on absolutely. So the person that doesn't give a shit about pushing the world forward mm-hmm. is actually still going to likely buy Hampton Creek's mayonnaise just mayo, just simply because they're on a budget and, right. and, it, and it tastes better. And so I wasn't surprised when just mayo was selling like crazy in Whole Foods because obviously you know, the, that, that consumer gets it and is thinking about the world and the impact. But to see Hampton Creek go into major retail like Walmart yeah. and Costco and really start to, to eat into traditional mayonnaise uh, market share is that's kind of the proof in terms of the villain test. I get it. Yeah. I get it now. You know, your whole theme of backing stuff where they're doing good. You've done a lot of deep thinking on this stuff. Uh, you've been pretty prolific in, in your writing and your thoughts about this. There are a lot of sort of um, subtleties to it that many people just overlook. One thing that you wrote about recently that, that caught my eye was we're in a very competitive landscape right now, mm-hmm. and this is actually kind of a secret weapon mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on a number of levels, hiring, et cetera. What, what are your thoughts on that? You actually did, I think, a good job of you know, articulating um, our beliefs, which is you know, if used properly, your values can essentially be a weapon. I know that right. sounds provocative, right. but I believe it. And um, you know, I think 
you're right. In today's environment, companies that are really that are really kind of excelling are ones that are able to attract the best talent. And you know, there's only so many perks you can throw out at people, right? It's like uh, we're we're going to pay you a little bit more money than the place that you're at today. We're gonna you can you know. You can bring your dog to work. You can play ping pong during lunch. You know we're gonna we're gonna hire chefs that are gonna make you know gourmet food. Like the number of perks is a it's a rat race. I mean, there's because anybody that you lure through those tactics is gonna quickly jump to the next place that offers them even more perks. So I think kind of you know having a core mission that you know is deeply rooted and and is held kind of from you know the top down is gonna is almost gonna serve as a beacon. It's gonna attract people that really believe in that mission and are willing to kind of uh, you know come on board um, for something that's that's much more connected than you know the ability to play ping pong. Um, and so you know it's a it's a very small thing, but I think if used right, you know values can kind of drive a wedge and or act as a weapon in multiple scenarios. Hiring's one. Mm-hmm. I think another is actually just in business tactics. We we invested in in a company a long time ago, actually. I think we talked about it last time we met up called Simple. It's a consumer bank. bank. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And you know, when they pitched us, yeah, you know, they, they came in, they were just getting started and I was like, how the hell do you think you're going to be able to compete with Citibank and Wells Fargo and Chase? I mean, it's crazy. I can't walk down a city block in Manhattan without seeing another banking branch. Like the last thing I need as a consumer is another bank. Right. And their response was, you know, we're going to be transparent and no other bank out there today can be transparent because financially they're incentivized not to be like you, you don't know, Craig, all the little fees that you're paying, the ATM fee, the overdraft fee, the wire fee, the transfer fees, they're just, they're, you know, and they're never going to make it easy for you to add all that up. You can dig and dig and dig. And so we're just going to use transparency as a weapon. And I was like, that's, you know, I think that's compelling. Like as a consumer, I, you know, I switched to, to simple and and a whole lot of other people did as well. Um, so I think that you know, as a small fry who's competing in a big world, yep. you know, it's one of the few things that levels the playing field. Mm, I love it. Does this inform your uh, backing of these new brands that we're seeing? I see you're in Walker and Co. You know, Blue Bottle Coffee. You mentioned mm-hmm. these kind of new emerging brands. There's a story mm-hmm. behind it. There's mm-hmm. a all of your portfolio companies that are like this have a big mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not subtle at all. Mm-hmm. T- tell us a little about uh, Walker, for example. Yeah, I mean Tristan is just a he's a superstar. You know, he it's hard not to you know, get behind him. He's just a, he's, you know, he's so ambitious, articulate, practical, um, honest. Yeah. He's just, he's a force of nature. You know, he's, he's, he's one of the few people when he walks in a room, he just commands the, you know, respect of, of the group, no matter who, who else is in the room. And so when he set out to, to essentially create a next generation brand for, you know, consumer products, it, it was a no brainer. I mean, we were, we were on board, you know, as soon as we had the opportunity to, 
and and I, truthfully, I feel kind of grateful for the opportunity to invest in his company. I just think he's he is um, he's got such charisma and and potential. You know, obviously, he's going after a massive space with you know entrenched incumbents who you know deeply don't want him to succeed. So you know, he's got his work cut out for him, but. Right. I think if there's anyone up for the challenge, you know, Tristan is, he's, I'd bet on him any day of the week. And I'm kind of seeing your point. It's like when you are looking at the the startup landscape, whatever role you might play, Mm -hmm. and you see teams that are so thoughtful, so ambitious, so consumed with, you know, a bigger vision, Mm -hmm. it's got to be massively appealing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure you get this. I get this all the time. You know, we're looking for... uh, two back-end developers and a designer, et cetera. Okay. So is, mm-hmm. so is everyone else in the, mm-hmm. in the universe. Uh, mm-hmm. What is appealing about working in your company? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. Let, let me uh, switch gears a little bit because mm-hmm. I have two young kids and I, I was really intrigued when I first heard about this company, Alt School, that I mm-hmm. think started in San Fran is now mm-hmm. in, on the East Coast. Give us a little background on that company and, and what they're doing and their mission. Yeah, it's funny, uh, the two that you picked. I mean, Max Ventilla, the founder of Alt School, um, you know, I, I have similar kind of admiration um, and just, you know, feelings towards, as I do, Tristan. You know, he's just, he's, you know, he's just a, a, a unique kind of beast um, in this world that, uh you know, you want to, you, you hope that you end up on the same team when they're choosing uh, teams for kickball. Right. He's, you know, you're hoping that he's going to be, uh, you know, on your side. Um, you know, obviously a very successful entrepreneur. Um, you know, prior to alt school, he he co-founded a company called Aardvark, sold that to oh, Google yeah. successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did very well at Google, um, and decided that kind of. You know, education was a, a, a massive market that he was passionate about. That he wanted to to try and to try and change, and not incrementally, but to really go for it. So, right. you know, with Alt School, he's he's actually you know taking this notion of you know vertical integration, where he controls the entire experience from uh, you know the the curriculum, the the staff, the the actual location, uh, the setup of the the classroom, you know, essentially creating almost like an operating system for education um, that he could he could build out in a in a modular fashion, but one that wasn't reliant. I think one of the challenges in education traditionally has been, you know, you have all of these disparate parts. You've got you know teachers, administrators, private schools, public schools, uh, charter schools. Uh, you you just have, and it's very difficult to create massive change because you have to sell in to each of these constituents, a lot of which have differing agendas. Mm-hmm. And so Max just basically said, "Screw it! Like let's let's build it up ourselves and and control the entire environment so that we can we can implement you know best practices uh, and and prove out the case." He started in San Francisco right. with one school, Alt School. Mm-hmm. And um, and really, just you know, has done a phenomenal job building on that. So he's now launched a number of others. In fact, here in New York, they opened one in Brooklyn Heights. Um, you know, went on to raise a, a you know a lot of money 
from Andreessen Horowitz, um, you know, Zuckerberg and others. Mm. Um, and so he's got, he's got the momentum and kind of wind at his back. This new kind of school, what, what is the output? What is he imagining it to be? As opposed to, you know, if you just go to the local uh, public school or school in your town. Yeah. 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 I think, um, you know, there's a couple of key things. So one is, um, you know, it's truly personalized. So people talk about, you know, the different way that kids learn and some kids learn, you know, uh, uh, you know, much, much more effectively through audio. Some are much more visual, some better through touching. Like there's, there's different, different ways that, that kids learn and, and alt school, um, you know, really focuses on kind of personalizing the education and curriculum on a on an individual basis, which right. which I think is big. The second is, ironically, this notion of kind of collaboration. So they mm-hmm. take you know best practices from one alt school and share that across the board. Um, and so you know, the Brooklyn Heights alt school is learning and and improving based on results that are happening in the Bay Area because they're able to see and share a lot of the data. So, you know, these two tests, this homework assignment, these uh, certain curriculums are are working in the Bay Area. And then that informs, you know, some of the teaching across the board. So there's there really is uh, like a connective tissue um, that I think is helping all boats rise within within alt school, almost as you might imagine Montessori having a similar and then they're just, you know, they're infusing technology in a way that feels like he's bringing state-of-the-art technology to the learning experience that feels like when you walk in, you're not in 1985, but you're, you're you know. I love it. This, I can see why uh, you two hit it off, uh, because you are really trying to build something, a collaborative fund that is a long-term institution, that is a learning institution, you guys are incredibly thoughtful about it. You're definitely one of the good guys. When you and your team sit down, what is the lens you guys are using to you know, look at companies and juxtapose them against what's going to be happening in our society? I think you know, we, we think a lot about um, kind of long-term change. And so you know, the, one of the areas of opportunity that we believe in is just almost contrarian or swimming the opposite direction of what's happening in the public markets. And so, you know, there's just such short-term thinking as it relates to technology investing, uh, you know, at a public level, you know, how are you doing on a quarterly basis? And it, and, and what, unfortunately that does is just absorbs a lot of, you know, there's a lot of smart people because there's so much money to be made in the public markets you know, it just attracts a, a large portion of the talent that, you know, is, is trying to figure out how to game that system. And so, you know, what that leaves is a vacuum or a, a much smaller number of people thinking about, you know, the long-term trends. Right. And, you know, one of the nice things about venture capital is it's a, you know, most funds have a 10-year life, which gives you the flexibility to not invest in you know something that's going to produce returns tomorrow or next month or next quarter, but really try to invest ahead of the curve, knowing that you've got you know a, a, you know in some cases a ten year period, and in coll- in collaboratives case we actually are trying to extend even beyond that right. So you know something like education's not going to change overnight. You know it very it, it could take max 
you know, a long time to build, you know, something of scale, um, you know, trying to do this vertically integrated approach. Um, and we're comfortable with that. So that's, you know, when we think about, we meet with companies and we think about the change that we want to see exist in the world, we're almost hoping that it takes them a long time to get there uh, because it's a it's an incredibly, uh, you know, strong moat. Um, if it's easy to get there and you can do it quickly, there's going to be a whole lot of other people competing. Um, you know, you don't see, you know, a bunch of people starting alt school, you know, competitors to alt school because it's incredibly hard and going to take a long time. What you're saying here takes a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. This is truly the long game that you're Mm -hmm. playing here. How do your LPs fit into this picture? You know, your investors are the, you know, essentially the roots of, you know, this tree that we're trying to build or create or grow. Um, You know, it all starts with them. And I think if you don't have, you know, the right, the right investors, it, it, it can make or break any organization. Um, And so I was, you know, I went to kind of great lengths to really try and um, attract, you know, capital partners that believed in, you know, these kind of, you know, core values that we just discussed. And Mm -hmm. in, in a lot of cases, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't alignment. And, um, you know, I think that in, in essence that it, it probably took us a little bit longer to get started. I think we've moved at, you know, while it seems like a fast pace, I think, you know, it's, we've just been more, not thoughtful, but we've just been slower. So kind of slow and steady wins the race and, and it's finding the right people. You know, I mean, I, I, I have been, you know, in venture capital, you know, it's most people don't talk about who their limited partners are. And I've, I've kind of gone the opposite approach. You know, I think, you know, we've, we've been fortunate enough to attract some incredible individuals, you know, Nicholas Negroponte, who, right. who founded MIT's Media Lab, um, Chuck Templeton, who founded Open Table, mm. and Scott Heiferman, obviously from oh, New yes, York, Scott, founded right. Meetup, uh, Ron Gonin, who founded Recycle Bank, no um, Ch- Chad Hurley, who co-founded YouTube, um, you know, just a, a, a kind of a, a great eclectic group, mostly of entrepreneurs that um, you know, all within their own right have, you know, built something special. And I think get kind of the long-term thinking um, and the kind of invest core investment thesis behind Collaborative Fund, which has allowed us the flexibility to do, you know, take some of these risks. How is Farrell, the artist, involved? I see, I see him on your blog. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so yeah, Farrell and I met when I was living in Los Angeles, um, kind of in, in a life before Collaborative Fund. Uh, I was working with SK Telecom, um, with the largest mobile operator in South Korea, um, and I was licensing content uh, music and, uh, and videos and other content in, in kind of Hollywood. I was meeting with talent and, and helping kind of do business development, um, activities with SK Telecom. And I met, I met Pharrell in LA and we just hit it off. Um, we both, you know, we, we actually didn't grow up too far from one another and we just kept in touch. And, um, you know, I think he's a, he's just a, a really special guy. He's incredibly creative, uh, extremely thoughtful, a lot of fun. 
Um, he just brings something unique to everything he does. And, um, and I, I invited him to, to participate in collaborative fund and, you know, was lucky to kind of convince him to, to be a, a, a small part of this thing, not your typical celebrity, but yeah, he's, he's a, t- he's so much fun to work with. We launched a, an email newsletter together called featuring, you know, we work with his team, his label almost called I am other. And so we partnered with I am other and we, we feature every month, we feature cool startups doing, you know, cool stuff around the world. Is he scouting for some deals for you as well? I hope. He, you know, he does. He sees really interesting stuff. I mean, he's he's obviously doing his thing on The Voice, which keeps him busy, but been involved with a bunch of interesting stuff. You know, he's a partner in a startup actually uh, here in New York that's making clothing out of recycled plastic. Um, so they, you know, they take bottles, recycled plastic bottles, have a process to, to essentially turn it into to fabric. So he's, he sees all types of stuff. Um, and, and frankly, all of our LPs do what's coming out of MIT and what Nicholas, he shows us great stuff, you know, Chad and others like it's, you know, that's kind of, you know, I think one of our, our secret weapons is just the, the collective, you know, that we, that we've managed to kind of pull together. And you invest around the country as well, but you're here in New York city, you're bullish on New York. Tell me why. Super bullish on New York. I think it's a great time to be in the city. I think, you know, I moved out to San Francisco in 2000 and, you know, lived there for seven and a half years. And so, you know, got really saw that ecosystem. Uh, I graduated in 99. So I saw it kind of, you know, at its peak and, you know, going absolutely crazy. And then 2001, you know, it evaporated. My company we rented space on the corner of Market in Montgomery. It's prime real estate in San Francisco for a dollar a square foot in in 2001. Wow. Um, so it's just, it was a ghost town. And then, you know, it, it slowly climbed its way back. And so I got to see that experience. And New York in some ways feels a little bit like the Bay Area did early on. Like you're starting to, you're starting to feel a critical mass of young talent, interest in technology, you know, you go to the meetups and it just, the community is really starting to, you know, emerge. You know, I think that the biggest difference is, you know, you just have such a diversity here in New York. You've got Wall Street, you've got Madison Avenue, you've got, you know, manufacturing, you've got interesting stuff going on in Brooklyn. You've got just such a, a, a wide variety of industry here in New York that Ultimately, I think it's, you know, it's a great, great place to be investing. Um, and it's also just not as competitive as an investor, you know, just speaking openly. Yeah. If, if you're in San Francisco, there's no shortage of capital and or smart people investing money. And so it's just hard, you know, as an investor to, to stand out. And, you know, in New York, I think it's just, it's a really big pond, but the the capital sources are are somewhat finite. And so it, it creates an opportunity for someone like Collaborative Fund. You're such an incredibly thoughtful guy. You're a real mensch. I could talk to you for hours. We'll have you back on the show. This has been terrific. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank I you. It. I love it. And I so appreciate it. I so appreciate it. Okay, my friend. Be well. Show you around. Give you a taste of business, you know? 